morning, church. What a blessing to be together on this day. It's uh, Welcome Fellowship Center, Welcome Livestream uh, guys. We're glad you're here with us today. He, uh, it's unfortunate to have to tell you that uh, Cody DeMint, who grew up here, passed away this past week. Um, we love the DeMints. Uh, hadn't been around for a while, but uh, this family is very special uh, to Lisa and I and to many in our church family. And so uh, they're going to have a funeral here tomorrow. I'm sure somebody at the end of service will give you all the uh, details of that. But I know that Beverly is hoping to feed the family. And so we need some food delivered here before 11 o'clock tomorrow, if you can, uh, so we can lift up this family in a, in a tough time. I had a, a funeral that I had to speak at yesterday in Tyler. My first cousin uh, passed away, and it was COVID-related, and uh, she was only 59 years old. It's just a reminder that, uh, you know, we don't have long on planet Earth, so we want to make the most of it. Amen? Amen. Every single moment uh, for Christ. Ava, would you come up? Ava Bass is going to read our scripture today. Says here she loves riding her bike and playing softball. Is that right, Ava? All right, excited to have you read for us today. You ready? Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truthfully, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Thank you. Great job. Great job, Ava. That was uh, from John 10, and uh, today our lesson is not from that text, but it is a great reminder uh, that we're here to talk about the true gate. And that's Jesus Christ. And so everything we've been talking about last week might sort of ignited our journey uh, in Acts 2. Uh, we're, we're calling this the unstoppable uh, adventure because it really is. And it's still not stopping. 2,000 years later, we're still on the journey. We're still reaching people. We're still helping people. Uh, last week, Mike talked about a miracle uh, of these unstudied languages. These, these disciples were able to speak uh, in languages that they had not studied and did not know by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that wasn't the point of it. The point was to, to stir up the audience, and it certainly did, right? And they were willing to listen to Peter give the first message about Jesus Christ. Thousands of people that day began the journey that we're still a part of this very day. What a blessing. All those dripping wet new believers, excited, meeting in the temple courts, ready to go, ready to commune for one another, ready to pull for one another. And today we're going to pick up the story in Acts chapter 3, and we're going to see a similar thing get started. We're going to have a miracle, and we're going to have a message, and then we're going to have a moment of hope. Let's start in Acts chapter 3 in verse 1, if you've got your Bibles or tablets or phones. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. Ironic, right? Here's this man laying here, been this way since birth, but he's laying right next to a gate that everyone calls Beautiful. He was put there every day to beg from those that were going into the temple court. So you think about this man's life. Someone had to carry him in. Someone had to lay him out. He's got his cup. He's ready for the daily ritual. And we don't know how many years he's been doing this, but obviously a long time. People are walking in, people are walking out. Now, let me tell you a little bit more about this gate. 
Uh, most scholars believe, and so do I, that it was the Eastern Gate on the wall to Jerusalem. It also had other names. It was called the Golden Gate, the Gate of Mercy. In later years, it was called the Gate of Eternal Life. What was interesting to me about sort of the irony of this situation, of this beautiful gate and this lame man laying next to it, is that this was the gate that Jesus would use. If you look out the Eastern Gate and you're imagining you're in Israel, you see the Kidron Valley. And then you see the Mount of Olives where the Garden of Gethsemane was. So you know that Jesus spent a lot of time coming in and out of this gate. This was the very gate in the triumphal entry that we talked about back in John chapter 12. This is where he came in. The palm leaves are going down. People are Hosanna and praising the name of Jesus. And it was a moment to fulfill scripture. And that whole week we know that he was teaching the temple courts. At night he would walk right through this gate where he would go out and he would rest on the Mount of Olives. The last time that he came into this gate, he was a prisoner. Remember, he'd been out praying. Judas went out and betrayed him. So he came the next time with his hands tied together, willing to give his life for us. It truly is a beautiful gate, right? And this lame man is laying here, and apparently he's been watching all this. He's wondering what all the hubbub is about. Man, the more crowds, the more opportunity for me to maybe get a buck or two. What's the big deal with this guy named Jesus? And he's about to find out. Look at verse 3. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked at straight at him, as did John. Now, let me just stop right there. Peter and John have broken the number one rule when you encounter someone that's begging for money. And I'm just going to have an honest moment here, right? Because it still happens to this very day. There's usually not a temple gate, but if you go out to Sam's, right, there's a guy that's usually right there at that red light. You know who I'm talking about, right? And you know the number one rule. You don't make what? You don't make eye contact. Because when you make eye contact with someone who's asking for money, there's only two things that are going to happen most of the time. You're going to have compassion. And you're going to start digging in your chain thing or digging in your wallet. He's saying, well, you know, this old guy's probably down on his luck. Maybe his sign is true. Maybe it's not. Or you're going to have judgment. You're going to think in your heart, you need to get a job. You look like a fit person, right? You don't know the man or you don't know the woman. And that's what happens. That's why you never make eye contact. Now, they're looking at you and you're looking somewhere else. In this instance, they look straight at him. And Peter said, this is a double whammy. Look at us. Now, it's interesting. The man gives them his attention. Why? Because now he thinks, I got him. If we're making eye contact, I'm making progress. That's what he's thinking. So he looks straight at him, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter breaks his heart. Peter says, silver or gold, I do not have. Now, you know the guy's heart sinks, right? What's the point here? Why are we having this staring contest? He's only living the life that he's always lived. It's always ever known. His life consists of getting through this day into the next. It reminds me of when I go to Africa. And you see thousands of people that are living life this way. If I can just get to tomorrow. As an American, it's very difficult to even understand the mindset of how people live. And that's the way it was with this guy. But Peter goes on to say, but what I do have, 
I give you. And this guy's life's about to be changed and he has no idea. Out of his disappointment, Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Now you need to know for a split second here, this guy's thinking, are you crazy? This man hasn't walked his whole life. He was born lame. He wasn't a toddler. He wasn't toddling around the house and on those shaky legs like we watch kids like Oliver and all the other little babies walk. He never had that. He has no idea how to walk. And now in the name of Jesus Christ, isn't that the guy that used to walk through the gate? You're telling me to walk? Taking him by the right hand because he's not doing anything. He doesn't know how. He helps him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Would that not have been a sight? Atrophied muscles, little small legs that, you know, we've seen people in this situation before. All of a sudden be made whole. What does he do? Well, he jumps to his feet and he begins to walk. Even though he had never walked, it came to him. Then he went with them into the temple courts, of course, walking and jumping and praising God. Wouldn't you? I imagine him doing like the Russian dance, right? He's down on his legs and hook, hey, hook, hey, hook, hey. Praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they said, isn't that the same man who used to sit at the temple gate called beautiful begging? What? What? And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. And isn't this the point? Same thing with the languages last week. The point is to get people to look and say, what is going on here? This is something. And they were just as amazed as he was. A man now had physical transformation. But look, that's not the point of it. Just like the languages weren't last week. Jesus walked by. How many times did Jesus walk by this guy? Every time he came through the gate, that's where he came in. This guy's laying there. Jesus never healed him. Jesus told us over and over again, my purpose is not to not come and heal everybody of sickness or to give every poor person enough money to live. My purpose is to come to transform lives that will live forever. Whether you get the healing or not. I'm sure some people looked at it and thought, well, my cousin has was been lame since birth. Why, why can't he be healed? Because that's the way some people look at some sort of miraculous transformation. Jealous. Because if the miracle is the only thing you're looking for and the only thing you're expecting, then you're missing the whole point of why Jesus came. It wasn't about the miracle. The miracle only pointed to who Jesus is and was. And so just like we saw in Acts chapter 2, you're going to see the same theme in Acts chapter 3. Now, I wonder if Peter and John had planned this. Because, you know, they've seen this guy too. They thought, you know what? We're going to have some kind of service today. Watch what's facing to happen when this guy gets healed. And so now they have a moment. So while there's a great miracle of physical transformation, the true point is it's a message of spiritual Transformation. Look back at Acts 3, verse 11. While the man held on to Peter and John, and wouldn't you, these guys that just given you the ability to walk, I'd want to be in their back pocket from here on out. 
These are my guys. All the people were astonished. They came running in this place called Solomon's Colonnade. So now they're running to hear what Peter and John have to say. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, I love how he identifies with them. I'm one of you. Why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or goodness, we have uh, godliness, we have made this man walk? Why do you think it's us? It's not us. We're just men like you. We're just Israelites. But we know something. So he gives them the true power source. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of your fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. I love it. We're going all the way back. This has always been part of the plan. And then he says more. You handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. And you killed the author of life. You did it. You see, we have to be convicted. And think about that last statement. You kill the author of life. How do you kill the author of life? Well, that was the secret. You don't. And yet that was what they attempted to do. I love that last song that we sang. Because if you just look at this and say, yeah, these were terrible people. Because these were actually the people that participated in the death of Jesus. But folks, 2,000 years later, it's us too. My sin put him on that cross. My sin enacted a plan that had to be had to for me to be saved. These people are the same as me and the same as you. We handed him over. We killed the author of life. My sin. Your sin. And then he comes back in 15 and says, but God raised him from the dead. You don't kill the author of life. You think you kill the author of life, but the author of life said, I came here to die for you, but I also came to be raised for you so that you may have life and have it to the full. So as I'm standing before my own family yesterday and i am got an urn full of ashes in front of me, I have the hope because I don't grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. I believe there will be a resurrection one day. Yeah. Bodies will come flying out of the ground and he'll will go to meet the Lord in the air. You don't kill the author of life. You put your heart and faith and trust in him. That's what you do. And it makes us invincible. Peter said, we are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as all of you can see. That's the power of Jesus. The purpose is not to heal a man that's lame. The purpose is to give us eternal life, invincibility. Then, if you die, you can then live. If you're born with a deformity, you will live forever, not deformed, because of the power of Jesus. But I love that Peter, he, he's convicting them, which we need to be convicted, right? We need to be told that what you're doing is not right. But then he gives them a pathway. Because when you, you're convicted, you've got to have a pathway to peace. You've got to have a way out. The worst thing I've ever seen or can ever see is someone who preaches a message of condemnation but never tells people how to come to Christ. How do we get out? 
Yeah, I realize I'm bad. I'm terrible. What's my pathway? Verse 17. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. I love it that Peter says, I, I get it. You thought you were doing the right thing. It was, it was ignorant, but it was wrong. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. God's known about this all along. This was his plan. He knew how you would react. He knew what Judas would do. He knew what Pilate would do. He knew that you would denounce him, defame him. And yet he came anyway because he loves you. That's a pathway. Repent then. Anybody can change. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. What a, what a message for us. To commit ourselves to him. To be cleansed and refreshed. I woke up this morning refreshed in new mercies because of what Christ has done for me. And you know what? Tomorrow I'll wake up and the same thing will happen again. Unless the Lord decides I go home tonight. Or unless he comes back, which is even better. That's what we have to look forward to. And that's what Peter would finish with. Look at verse 20. This is a future moment of eternal transformation. And that he may send... The Messiah, who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. So he says, look, he's coming back. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, and he, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Now he's going to quote Moses. Would you look at Peter? Peter's impressing me. Back in Acts chapter 2, he's quoting Joel. He's, ta- he's quoting David. Now he's quoting Moses. Later it's Samuel and Abraham. Who is this guy? I thought this was a fisherman who didn't know anything. Peter, Peter knew some stuff. And now the Holy Spirit's just flowing it out of him. Just like he does with us. Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up a prophet like me from among your own people. And you must listen to everything he tells you. You remember Moses, you Israelites? That one you so adore? He talked about our Lord Jesus. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off. From his people. It's not about being a good Jew anymore to this audience. It's time to become a Christian. What a moment. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, I mean, he just spit them out. Through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, He sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Thousands of years of Jewish history leading up to this moment where Jesus came to this earth. Now he's here and now he's gone. And 2,000 years later, we're waiting for him to come back. Why? So we have an opportunity to turn from our wicked ways. Same message applies today. The power to save and refresh and to be transformed. You know, these people got the opportunity to be the first ones to embrace this message. The first people to understand what grace is. The first people to understand what it means to be refreshed by the Holy Spirit. To be changed. To give God glory for the rest of their lives. But it still goes forward today, does it not? Last week, 
we saw a beautiful testimony from Megan. A life that's been changed. A life that's been transformed. Today we have another story that I want to share with you. Um, This man has been awakened by our Savior. And now he's a force for good. Let's run that testimony, guys. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. In the past, I've struggled with IV drug use, anger, and pride. My name's Derek. I was born in Pearl River, Louisiana. Grew up there. Uh, born into a great family. Uh, my mom was always there. My grandpa was always there. They never missed a sporting event, um, a school function. I mean, always there for advice and, and just kind of uh, to teach me the way of life. Uh, and going into high school, I excelled in academics and sports. Um, Ended up graduating with a 4.2 GPA, uh, salutatorian. Um, I was a uh, starter quarterback for the football team for four years. And uh, by the time my senior year came, you know, I had the world at my fingertips. I could have uh, went to Yale, Columbia, or Brown to play football on a full academic and, and athletic scholarship. So uh, I just say that, that sin or addiction does not discriminate. It doesn't matter if we grew up in the greatest situation or if we had great parents or bad parents. Um, sin's out there and addiction. It, it affects everybody. After, uh, you know, making one B in high school, I ended up flunking out of college after my first semester. Uh, partying become a huge part of my life. It wasn't just alcohol and weed. Um, your pain pills. Uh, one pain pill become two. Two become four. Before I knew it, I was having to take 12, and that was on an everyday basis. I began shooting a lot of meth. I began making meth. Um, uh, but also around this time, the pain pills weren't cutting it no more, and, and heroin uh, began extensive heroin use. Um, I couldn't go. I couldn't wake up in the morning without a shot of heroin and a shot of meth. Um, I began stealing from my family and loved ones. Ended up, you know, ruining the relationship with my mother at work. And... Uh, Ended up going out with a bang, you know, throwing her to the ground, body slamming my own mom to the ground, emptying the cash register, and out the door went. Um, I ended up going from job to job. I finally got on with the, this construction crew in, in Baton Rouge after the flood, and a lot of hours were long. The drive was long, so my meth use really increased. And uh, also, you know, heroin come back into the picture, and not using, for those of you who know, not using heroin for about three years and then that first time was would be the first time I overdosed. You know, I woke up on a gurney, headed to the hospital, not knowing what happened. I began selling a lot of drugs, uh, methamphetamines to be exact. Like, and, and of course, selling drugs puts you in bad situations. So one night, you know, I'm sitting in a car trying to make a deal and the car door opens and uh, I'm staring down the barrel of a nine millimeter, see the flash of a gun barrel on him. The guy unloads a clip on me at about point blank range, and but still thinking that was enough, I still kept on, still kept on, you know, lying to my family. Uh, any friends I had left, I completely turned my back on them. I went on the OD three or four more times. So I just remember sitting there one one night looking around. I had nobody. I, I was alone. I was a bad brother. I was a bad son. I was a bad friend, uh, <laughs> ruined an engagement, <laughs> divorced. Here I'm 32-year-old, and I, I've lost everything. 
I, uh, I truly had hit my rock bottom. So I did what I did what I had to do, and I just uh, I remember my cousin talking about this place in Monroe uh, called Pecan Haven. So I called uh, Betty Ballard, my cousin, and and she said, uh, Well, Derek, you know you get you know we can get you up here, but you're going to have to go to detox first. And uh, man, I was so scared, you know. Uh, I didn't know what to expect, but I'm, I'm sitting in these in this detox center, and, and these guys bringing this meetings, and um, they all had their life together. They all seemed happy, and I remember this one guy come, and he said, "Look, I, I don't know your relationship with God. I don't know if you even believe in God." He said, "But I tell you what, if you hide your shoes, hide your sandals under your bed, and when you get up in the morning to get them shoes out, out from under your bed, if you hit them knees, and while you're down there, you just thank the Lord." You talk to him and just thank him for uh, for just giving you a second chance, for loving you. He said, "I promise you, your life will change." So I said, I, "You know, I what else? You know, I'm gonna try. I'm willing to try anything for this." And I, I remember that night I hid my shoes under my bed, and the next morning when I got out of bed, I got on my knees to get my sandals. And while I was down there, I hit my knees and I started thanking the Lord. And it was at that moment, right then and there, where I came face to face with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, it's kind of like in the book of Acts, chapter 3, when Peter and John go to the temple. And there's this crippled man sitting there, just begging for gold and silver. And um, I I felt like that crippled man. You know, beat up from life, uh, full of shame and guilt, just begging for a new life. But as Peter and John did that day, through Jesus Christ, gave that man a new life. And as he walked through the gates called Beautiful, he walked into a new life in Jesus Christ. And from that moment on, my life began to change. At Pecan Haven, I remember opening the Bible and just the words and scriptures now jumping off the page at me. Um, forever grateful for, for a man named Brian Rucker who took me under his wing and just started explaining who Jesus was. And the love and the second chances and, and the grace that I never even thought was possible before. Uh, I'm forever grateful for Kyle Smith. As I'm leaving Pecan Haven, I, I get accepted into the Awaken 514 recovery program. And uh, I'm grateful for that decision to this day. That uh, Kyle Smith took the time to pour into me. I remember the first night at Celebrate Recovery, um, I thought that you know, what existed up here at WFR wasn't possible. Uh, 300 plus uh, people just like me that was hurt and broken, loving one another and loving Jesus. Just when I think my life, you know, my life can't get any better. You know, I'm, I'm sitting there and Kyle brings me in the office and asks me to uh, help come manage the Awaken 514 program. And that was like a slap in the face, a stop you in your tracks moment. Here I was just a year ago. I can't even manage my own life. And a man of God that I look up to, uh, Kyle, just comes and asks me to, to help manage a recovery program, uh, help manage other guys. <laughs> you know, it's just it's unbelievable. And without a doubt, I said yes, because I know the way Jesus come into my heart, all I wanted to do for the rest of my life is just to help other brothers find Christ. So here I am, um, you know, still trying to pinch myself, thinking it's all a dream. 
and I'm in the likes. I get to, to wake up every day and come to my home at WFR Church. I get to be surrounded with godly men and women each and every day. I don't deserve that. I got a man like Robert Abel's pouring into me, taking me under his wing when, uh, when I, when sometimes I still look at myself as an old drug addict and sinner. Just when I think things can't get any better, God sends a beautiful angel into my life by the name of Kayla. And uh, somebody who uh, loves Jesus just as much as I do, God will do exceedingly abundantly more than I could ever imagine. And now I'm married to, to the woman of my dreams. I have the same mother who didn't want me around is now calling me for spiritual advice sometimes. You know, uh, when I wake up in the morning now and I look in the mirror, I don't see that broken person anymore. I don't see that man that's full of shame, full of guilt. I don't see that bad brother or that bad son or bad grandson. I see a child of God. And yes, I am still an addict. Except my addiction today is not drugs and alcohol. It's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and loving and helping others find Him. I can only say <clears throat> hallelujah when a lame person learns how to walk. We're all Derek. You don't have to do heroin, but you did something. We all do. Where we have to drop to those knees and arise up to walk in the name of Jesus Christ. It's the power of transformation. Look, look what can happen. We see the tragedy every day of what happens when people don't humble themselves to Jesus. They're dying every day. By the hundreds of thousands, and many don't know the name of Jesus. This morning, if that's you, you know, there's a lot of things that make us lame. If that's you that needs to be healed and transformed, but spiritually, we want to give you that opportunity. Maybe you've been thinking about it. You've just been scared to make that move, take that step. I'm telling you, the walk to glory begins with giving yourself to Christ. Allowing him to transform your heart and your mind. To give you the Holy Spirit of refreshing. It's your pathway. So whether you're watching on a computer somewhere, or television, or you're here in person, we want you to be transformed and to be saved. If you need that today, why don't you come forward while we stand and while we sing?